Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. The data is clear. One of the most essential categories in the time of COVID is the alcohol beverage industry. Certainly if my liquor cabinet is any indication. How are manufacturers adapting to their new digital consumers and responding to the surge? What of these new behaviors will stick? What does it take from an organization to be everywhere they need to be for their consumers and industry in this moment? There is no better leader to talk to than Wayne Duan, who runs e-commerce and digital commerce at Constellation Brands, a Fortune 500 manufacturer of beer, wine, and spirits. Rob and I each cracked a Corona and dug into it all with Wayne. Here's the conversation. So Wayne, first of all, thank you so much for joining us, but I, I have to start by asking, Constellation Brands has a lot of recognizable brands. It has Corona, Modelo, Kim Crawford, Naomi, Robert Mondavi. How are your brands performing during this time? Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me and, and hope you and your loved ones are, are safe and well during these unprecedented times. Uh, you know, we released our earnings a couple of weeks ago and we had a really strong performance. Our brands continue to excel during this period uh, with, with really loved brands such as, you know, Corona, Modelo, Kim Crawford, Mayomi, uh, Robert Mondavi, as you listed. And I, I'm sure with many of us spending more time with family than we're used to, we're, we're all enjoying some of these simple indulgences. And, you know, we're certainly as an organization spending the time to continue to market our brands, but I also want to make sure we're ensuring uh, that we're taking care of our people and our communities. Uh, for us right now, we're, we're certainly making sure we're focusing on our brands are relevant and we're a big believer that consumers don't necessarily walk away from categories. They walk away from brands and, and brands that no longer resonate with them are, are the ones that are going to struggle. And we've definitely seen really strong results over the past few weeks. There was a New Yorker comic that I saw recently where a man goes into a liquor store and has a bottle of booze that he puts on the counter to purchase and the liquor store attendee holds a dramatically larger bottle up and says, oh, you're stuck at home with two young kids and both you and your wife are trying to work and you can't go anywhere. You need this size. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the trends we're definitely seeing is um, not only towards premiumization in terms of, and that's a macro trend in terms of price um, and price point, but premiumization turns towards larger pack sizes, right? So it's the 12 packs, the 18 packs, uh, the 24 packs in beer, and then in wine and spirits, it's the larger sizes or, or just more quantities. Um, it, it's definitely, uh, the consumption I'm, I'm, I'm sure has not really uh, changed that much overall, but I know for some of us, uh, we may be drinking a little bit more at home. Yeah, that's kind of you to say, but the consumption overall at my household has changed dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, thank you for supplying my need at this moment. So this, yeah. is, this is a little bit of a tangent, um, but I just wanted to drill into for two seconds the pack size change that you mentioned. Because in, in yep. CPG companies over the last 10 years, they've all struggled with how do you make money online? You can't sell a $2 pack of Oreos online and make any money on it. So they do these repacks where you get, you know, the eight ninety nine to twelve ninety nine packages because that's what you can make money shipping on. That's where the margins work out for you for e-commerce. Is the is this staying inside and and ordering more booze 
via Drizzly or via uh, Kroger's um, click and collect program or via Walmart click and collect or, or whatever. Is that driving the package size change or is this just a macro trend that's been happening for a while? Yeah, I think it's a macro trend uh, that we've seen over the past few weeks dr during these really unprecedented kind of shelter in place uh, times we're in right now. Uh, the big driver we're seeing is that consumers want to minimize the number of trips they need to make to the store or the number of orders they need to place. Uh, so when you look at the numbers, the, the convenience channel and the drugstore channel is not growing as quickly as mass and liquor channel and the club channel. And naturally, in those locations, you're going to say, hey, if we're going to be at home, I'm going to get uh, more bottles than I got in the past, or I'm going to buy a larger pack size. The other thing to remember, and what's a nuance to the beverage alcohol category, is that uh, fulfillment comes out of, uh, more often than not, from the store, as opposed to an e-commerce warehouse. So um, as, well, as well as the kind of nuances of the three-tier system, you don't really have these online exclusives that you may see in other CPG categories. And when, can you go a little bit into that three-tier system? Like you confront a whole different set of regulations and it varies by state, if not by municipality. Uh, and yeah. so I'd love for you to talk, one, a little bit of sort of where you come from, how you come to this business. You, I know you worked at retailer previously, and then also sort of how going digital in this market is a really a different beast. Yeah, so I, I joined Constellation about two years ago to lead up their e-commerce team. Uh, my background previously was at Walgreens, where I, uh, I went through the, the organization and I had the wonderful opportunity to, to be leading our Walgreens digital commerce efforts um, and, and be able to really position Walgreens into that uh, leadership position uh, within e-commerce uh, for the drug channel. The placement right now, or the situation right now in the beverage alcohol category, it, it's a big wake-up call, right? So for those that are not familiar, you know, one of the things that came, of, came out of prohibition was this three-tier system, where the brewer, the distiller, or the winemaker has to sell products directly to a distributor, and then the distributor sells it to the customer and then to the consumer. So you get these three levels, uh, the supplier, the distributor, and then the, the retailer. And so one of the challenges is for those that are in e-commerce or in CPG, you're, you're so used to being able to go national, right? If you want to start selling a shampoo or some flip-flops uh, nationwide, you can do that. But in many respects, uh, this category is just not set up in the U.S. to be scalable because every state municipality will have different rules in terms of what's allowed or what's not allowed. Um, for beverage alcohol e-commerce, and then it also may vary between beer, wine, and spirits and the different fulfillment methods. So wow. uh, a lot of the retailers really are trying to wrap their heads around how I do this in a scalable fashion. That's interesting. I mean, I remember um, one, of, one, of, one of my uh, friends that uh, went to the same college I went to, Williams, um, runs a vineyard out in California. And for, you know, years and years after school, we couldn't get any of his wines because it's, you know, it's a small vineyard and they're not available yeah. locally. Um, and uh, we, we had a big party when you could finally order wine to be shipped to Massachusetts, which wasn't, wasn't that long ago. And so the, that's, I, that, I never really thought about that point from a, from a broader marketing perspective. So when you guys are looking to launch a new brand, you have to do so on a, is it a state by state basis? Like, do you have individual marketing teams in individual states? Like, you know, some companies have a German operation and an Austrian operation and mm -hmm. a Swiss, Swiss operation. Is it like that for alcohol? Yeah, you generally um, have to make products available 
um, at a state level. Um, you know, without getting into technicalities, you cannot do an exclusive for a retailer, but you can certainly say, hey, I just want to launch this product in the Southeast or just in the Northwest, uh, but you cannot make it exclusive to a retailer. So uh, some of my CPG peers, you might say, hey, I have an exclusive for Costco or I have an exclusive for the drug channel. Uh, in this category, because you sell to the distributor, the distributor uh, is you know, given the, the option to decide where they want to sell it. Now, sometimes the unit economics just don't play out where a convenience store probably doesn't have the space or the purchase occasion to sell a 24 pack. You know, the same way you know, a mass or club channel probably doesn't want to be selling single serves uh, of beer or canned wine, right? So it's sometimes the just business models play up that way as well. And so, Wayne, when you, when you talk about the, the complexities of the category, and yet in this moment particularly, an incredible surge in online demand, and at the same time, offline re outlets like restaurants and bars being dramatically impacted. Tell us a bit about what's happening right now. Like, what are you seeing? Um, how, does, how is all of this sort of coming together into the commerce of the moment? Yeah, so what's really fascinating right now is the beverage alcohol e-commerce world in the U.S. has gone up anywhere between 2x to 6x um, in, in the past few weeks because of shelter in place and the really kind of unprecedented times that we're in. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, category brands can certainly go through relevancy channel uh, challenges, but beverage alcohol is a category that uh, consumers are, are definitely. Uh, clamoring for or definitely continuing to demand uh, during this time. And, and so the, the real challenge, and, and I use this, I love to use this Warren Buffett quote, and the quote is really about corporate debt and leverage, but it, it basically goes along the lines of only when the tide goes out, do you find out who's been swimming naked. And <laughs> it's during these times, I think it's really, really obvious which are the suppliers and the retailers that have prepared for this digital transformation or the shift towards e-commerce. Um, and whether it's their fulfillment capabilities or how they think about the digital shelf or how, how they think about marketing. So it, it definitely is one where my team has been spending a lot of time and a great organizational support to make sure that we're successful and, and definitely seeing kind of this front row seat that e-commerce is not just a sales channel right now, but it's a primarily an audience reach and, and scale kind of a marketing ecosystem. So. Um, you, you are going to continue, and I'm, my belief that, that some of the previous barriers are going to continue to, to tumble um, as the consumer is voting with his or her wallet. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in the restaurant industry as it's sort of in a, in a, a sad hibernation right now. But are you hearing yeah. the under, undercurrents of some digital shift happening there as well as, as, the, you know, as hopefully we start to emerge out of this? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, Constellation and, and I think the entire beverage alcohol industry, we, we definitely want to be part of the economic solution and part of the economic recovery. So just kind of talking shop a little bit here. In the beverage alcohol world, you have this term called on-premise and off-premise. So on-premise is basically restaurants, casinos, uh, stadiums, cruise ships. Uh, off-premise are essentially just stores, right? Um, the on-premise channel generally speaking, for the industry is about 20%, and the off-premise channel is about 80% of the industry. So in the past few weeks, as you've seen the pantry loading going on in the off-premise channel, it, it's essentially offset the decline with the on-premise channel 
essentially being shut down at this time. And I, I, for a lot of our customers, uh, whether they're chains or independents, uh, they're, they're being forced to really have to re-examine their business model. And how do you really differentiate yourself during these times? Um, and, and who do you partner with? Uh, what's the unit economics and what's the experience that is necessary? And I think coming out of this kind of economic recovery, the on-premise channel or just the notion of dining is going to be very different, right? I'm sure some restaurateurs and restaurant operators are going to really ask, do I need this much seating space? Um, because that's rent I got to pay. Um, how do I think about the packaging of my food uh, before I you know, give it to a courier to deliver it? And specifically in the beverage alcohol world, one of the interesting nuances is the price for beverage alcohol. So when you get it at a restaurant, uh, you typically are paying a premium. So uh, a bottle of Kim Crawford uh, could go for about 30 or $40 in the on-premise channel. Uh, when you go to a store, you can get that for about $15. So all of a sudden, when you're going to start doing a delivery experience for that same bottle of wine, do I want to be paying that premium uh, for that bottle of wine that I'd be getting in the restaurant versus using some of the many delivery services to get it for $15. You know, if, if I look at another industry as just an example, the movie theater attendance over the last 10 years has been declining in general, and it's been declining a lot for younger people. So people that are 15 to 30, they just, they really go to the movies a lot less than they did 10 years ago and, and even a lot less than they did 20 years ago. And now the movie theaters are closed and there's a lot of speculation as to, man, when the movie theaters reopen, a lot of these people just aren't going to go back to the movies. You know, people are doubling down on, like you see the rise of the OTC, you see the rise of Disney Plus. I mean, everybody's signing up to Disney Plus right now. Um, is, there, is there a similar trend or any similar trends that you know of in the restaurant industry and on-prem as it relates to beverage is were, were restaurants doing really well right up until this crisis and would people expect them to do really well coming out of this crisis or like what 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 is the uh if any um view of the industry as to how they're gonna they're gonna recover well i think one of the human truths or the consumer truths is we're, we're social animals right and there's nothing better to be able to get together with friends and over food and drinks. And, and so there, I think there's always going to be a really strong on-premise kind of dining scene. But I think what's really going to come out of this is the premium or the differentiation around experience. So it's not just the quality of the food, but the vibe, right? The ambiance, the, the drinks menu, the music, all these things are going to be really important differentiators now because if there is a good substitute in terms of dining at home. And one of the macro trends that we see as a company is this, this term called hometainment, where you're seeing with some younger consumers who are not going out and they're just kind of hanging out with friends at home. That is going to be an interesting countervailing force. But, uh, you know, Rob, to your question, I, I think a big piece as well is also do these restaurant operators have enough cash to be able to yeah. come out of this uh, with the necessary tailwind. But I don't think that the overall channel uh, it will go through a metamorphosis, but you're still going to get people who want to break bread, enjoy a glass of wine with friends out, you know, out of the house. I'm sure some of us are all kind of feeling cabin fever, right? And that's going to be really part of the social experience. Hey, Wayne, I also want to point out just, um, and 
you did not mention this to me. I saw it in the news that Constellation is part of the Restaurant Relief America campaign, raising really millions of dollars to help restaurant workers mm -hmm. that have been affected by this, by this pandemic. And I just think that effort for you and for all of your compatriots across the industry is, is a really impressive effort. Yeah, thank you. I, I think it's really important uh, right now that we're part of that economic solution, the economic recovery. The on-premise channel is really important for us in many respects. That's where uh, you build your brands, right? You, you enjoy that bottle of wine or you have that cocktail or you're introduced to that new beer product at, uh, in the on-premise channel. Then you, then you say, hey, I'm going to go to my local store to buy that. So uh, we, we find it really important. And I think now is also not, uh, there is a purpose beyond profits right now. And uh, they're a really important stakeholder for us. So in terms of brand building here, um, I want to stick on that theme for a minute. Um, traditional brand building in the mass market economy of the United States has been through television and in, in you know, beer, wine and spirits in particular. I mean, it, I, you know, in the nineties, everyone knew the Anheuser-Busch InBev horses and stuff like that. And so mm -hmm. I, um, TV viewership over the last 10 years is down about 30%. And it's up just a little bit in the COVID crisis, but what's really up is, is the OTC channels, the Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and Disney Plus and and, and, whatnot. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of speculation that um, we're gonna start seeing a lot more cord cutting, especially as sporting events don't, don't hold up. Mm -hmm. Are, if, you, if you guys are thinking about brand building, you're thinking about you know, relatively newer products for Constellation, like the, the Corona seltzers, which have come out relatively recently. Um, how big of a importance do things like the on-premise channels or do uh, some of the um, newer off-prem channels, such as, you know, delivery from the liquor store, uh, how, how important are those for brand building? If they're important for brand building, how do you execute brand building through those channels? Yeah, so, so right now, I think one of the tenants is always kind of being consumer-led and, and depending on the segment that you're going after, we're making sure we're allocating our marketing dollars in the appropriate places, regardless of you know, what channels or what forms of media, and I would include experience and concerts and, and, and sporting events as a form of media, uh, regardless of, of what's going on and what's open, what's not open, you know, that's where we want to make sure we're, we're spending our dollars to get the best return and the best engagement uh, with our brands. And so right now there is, uh, the opportunity to really go digital. And I think brands are really figuring out now, can I be digitally native? And we are putting a concerted effort to make sure that our existing brands are kind of going through that metamorphosis. Uh, and also we're launching brands that have more of a digital DNA uh, to them. Uh, but we all know coming out of this, it's gonna be more than just, that kind of old playbook is still gonna be there, but you're gonna have to change it uh, because the consumer is going to have very different behaviors. So, so one example uh, th that we're seeing right now is the access to data, right? Th there's that classic marketing adage of, I know half of my marketing works, but I just couldn't tell you which half, right? <laughs> well, with a data, you're able to say, hey, after this uh, going after this segment, how many of them bought? I can track their, their purchasing behavior. You're able to get to a, a level of precision uh, that maybe through traditional marketing you you couldn't do, but uh, I think across your marketing mix, uh, you're going to have brands that are going to continue uh, to do a lot of testing and learning, but they're also going to go after the channels that they feel uh, do the best job in serving their consumers. 
And Wayne, I think that's a, you know, a common theme that we've seen throughout a lot of the manufacturer executives that we've talked to is uh, this has a way of exposing whether or not your company really has made the investments in agility that you need to make to be able to survive in this and thrive in the in these markets, particularly at this time. And I was wondering, overall, you know, I know it's hard probably to have a sit back view of what you've been doing right now because you're still in the midst of it. But mm -hmm. when you look at how your company has responded to this surge and also to your point about being able to show up where you need to at this time, you know, what's your your sort of current report card for yourselves and and how does how uh, and how is your organization? How should listeners to this podcast that are trying to think about their report card, you know, what are the things that you think about that have been uh, been working for you? Yeah, I, I think now has been a really good time to reflect on what are the areas and how have you prioritized uh, your resources, right? Content integrity, as basic as it may sound for, for digital shelf management, is something that I know we have spent a lot of resources on and, and that's something that we've been really happy with our results but there's other areas that are always opportunities i think overall i think one of the elegant realities uh, of what's kind of developed over the past few weeks is that decision making has been a lot faster because you know with great limitations comes great creativity and trust and it's really ignited the the leaders in the organization and, and exposed and highlighted the ones that fear change versus the ones that fear not changing. And you know, that, that mm -hmm. piece about changing is so important because you, I think in this time, it's more about being directionally right, right and it's okay to be specifically wrong. And, and, and that is the type of mantra you wanna go. So as my team and some of my peers throughout the organization are trying to continue to innovate and, and be uh, getting in front of the consumers and serving the different stakeholders, we have to transform uh, while performing. So it, it's been a really fun experience that there's definitely areas that we need to continue to sharpen, but it's also been very validating in some of the investments and capabilities we've developed over the past few years. The, the rise in terms of agility and being directionally right, like if we, if we look back historically, um, advertising through print media in like 2000 to 2008 was declining, but you know, mostly yeah. okay. And then mm -hmm. when the great recession hit, it, the, the advertising that took the biggest punch in the face were newspaper and print. And mm -hmm. the measurable performance advertising channels that at that time were still relatively not young, Google in particular, really gained quite a bit from it. And um, I, I wonder just in terms of the, the, the team's uh, agility and being directionally right, places like Instacart have just recently um, mm -hmm. enabled alcohol brands to pay to play for search. And we know from Amazon, if you go back six, seven years on Amazon, the brands that were early on Amazon that um, did the, the content optimization on Amazon for organic search early, got on Amazon advertising early and developed the in-house muscle and capabilities to win, then ended up you know, compounding that to, to pretty sustainable leads mm -hmm. over long periods of time. I, this, is, this now feels like one of those moments, and I'm curious whether you agree with this or not, for beverage where the companies that are that have already been making those investments and have staff in place to take advantage of something like the Instacart um, paid search, that, that uh, you could actually see durable market gains, like big jumps in market share and gains that will be defensible over a period of time, the same yeah. way that we saw Amazon. What, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, I, I think that's very true. And in, in our organization, uh, invested and partnered really early with Instacart to make sure our, our brands are well positioned. I think part of it uh, still, Rob, is understanding the, you know, the brand building opportunity. So we, we've made investments to understand how consumers are searching. And the example I like to give or the stat I like to share is that in the beer category on retailer websites, 25% of searches are for the brand. 75% of searches are for kind of a generic term, maybe wow. beer, lager, IPA, cerveza, et cetera. In the vodka category, it's 50-50. 50% are searching for brand, 50% are, are searching for, um, uh, for the vodka term or related term. In the wine category, 5%, only 5% of searches are for a brand. Wow. The other 95% is for Pinot Noir, red wine, sparkling wine, Prosecco, Chardonnay, et cetera. So, uh, you know, using that insight, we, we can then kind of figure out where do we want to spend our dollars in building the brands. So having consumers search for Corona or Kim Crawford or Svedka Vodka, and which are the terms that we need to do a little bit of brand building um, by using, you know, the sponsored search terms. Uh, so, you know, we've been able to use that and think about the customer lifetime value gains that we get. You know, one of the elegant truths and reality is online grocery shopping is these retailers or these platforms show what you bought last time. And in many respects, when you are buying online again, it's a very high percentage of, of it is what you bought last time. Because the, the brick and mortar equivalent would be, hey, welcome back to my store. I'm literally wheeling over a shopping cart of <laughs> what you bought last time. And, you know, swap that brand of hummus or swap out the, the almond milk that you bought last time. But, you know, 70, 80% of that basket's going to be the same as you bought last time. So just, that's a kind of a, imagine if that kind of played out in the brick and mortar world, that's what's happening in online grocery. So we know there's a value and premium to, to ensure that you're getting in the basket early. Yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about that for alcohol in particular with the brand knowledge. I'm just, I'm just like, I drink a lot of wine, probably like an embarrassing amount of wine. And, and <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't, you know, like I don't remember most of the labels that I that I drink, but I remember the ones that have a sentimental um, relationship for me. So, Mayomi, for example, which you guys produce, that's the wine that I had at my wedding. So I know Mayomi's mm -hmm. Pinot, and you know we drink it, and you know fairly frequently. And when I see it in the store, like I recognize the Mayomi, and I don't actually recognize a lot of the wines that are around it. And that that connection causes me to continue to rebuy. Um, but then if I buy something else that I like, I mean, I've got an 80% chance of forgetting it, right? Whereas right. online, if you buy it, so if you're basically paying for the customer acquisition via a search channel and they buy it once and it's in their cart and it's in their order history, they don't have to remember it. The cart remembers it and they can find the right. thing that they like to get. That's really, that's, so, so there actually is potentially that five 95% search. I'm just thinking out loud here could yeah. be a historical uh, reflection of the way that wine is bought in, you know, um, off-prem and enjoyed off-prem mm -hmm. that online may not actually follow the same rules over time. You could see that shift. Yeah, over time. When, and yeah, over time that could change, but I, I think it speaks to the opportunity to build brands, right? In the wine yeah. category in particular, um, for many consumers, the brand is the great varietal. Oh, I like Chardonnay. I like Sauvignon Blanc. And then after that, it is maybe your price point, and then whether they have a pretty name, the pretty packaging. I mean, that's what, honestly, the average consumer faces when they, they get to the wine wall at most grocery stores, right? Um, being able to have in your portfolio brands like Robert Mondavi, Simi, 
Naomi, Kim Crawford, allows you to kind of avoid that entire fray of people searching for white wine, right? You want the consumer to just search for Kim Crawford. Yeah. And that is the concerted efforts that investments that we've made over time to, to really differentiate your brand versus it's just another fermented grape juice. And so Wayne, I'm, we, to, to close this out, I'm going to kind of do a quick round robin of predictions with you if you're willing to go sure. on a ride with me. All right. So yeah, let's, uh, let, let's focus on, on sort of how much of this growth is durable in your opinion. Um, is this new business? Is it incremental? So let's start there. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen in terms of the growth that we're seeing sort of post-pandemic? Yeah, I, I would say one disclaimer up front is that uh, for all of those that have been in any type of industry or any kind of subject matter area, uh, you realize the more you know, the more you, reala you realize you don't know. And, and so th these predictions, I'll, I'll, I'm making these to, to learn, uh, but not to be right. So Right now, before COVID-19. <laughs> well, I'm going to come back to you with your report card. So, with COVID-19, pre-COVID-19, e-commerce or beverage alcohol e-commerce sales was 1% of the off-premise sales in the U.S. And what the data that we're seeing over the past few weeks is it's now hitting about 3 to 6%. And, and a lot of that is the realities of shelter in place, uh, one of the fastest growing online uh, Bev Elk shoppers right now is a 60 year old, uh, 60 year old plus um, cohort, and uh, that is you know very much uh, part of the the safety uh, that needs to be put in place uh, for that group. Um, coming out of this, and there will be right a recovery. Uh, I would not be surprised if there's a slight dip because you're going to have folks who want to go back to the store. But what it really provides the consumer is now the optionality, and uh, these unprecedented times has really um, knocked down one of the main challenges for beverage alcohol online, which is the lack of awareness. So we did this study about two years ago that we found only 60, uh, about 65% of online uh, sh grocery shoppers in states where it's legal did not know you can buy beverage alcohol online. So you have about, you know, only about 35% awareness, right? I'm sure we're going to be passing and crushing that number as an industry coming out of that. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well is uh, a lot of these emergency resolutions or emergency uh, accommodations that were put in place um, at the state levels to help support the independent liquor stores, the restaurants where they started to allow beverage alcohol e-commerce. And uh, I, I foresee that there is going to be an oxygenation of some of these laws to become mainstays because everyone now has essentially gotten a taste of what it's like to have that convenience. And, uh, you know, consumers are going to continue to, uh, to kind of demand that uh, experience. With regards to your question of, is it incremental? I think it certainly can be market share incremental for the brands and the suppliers that are leaning into this. Uh, but I think the right lens is more embracing and understanding that this is going to be a channel shift. Therefore, the investments that need to be made in digital, e-commerce, omni-channel, whatever, whatever label you want to put on this, it's all about revenue protection, right? Because uh, just because I can order this online, you, you know, we can go back and forth and debate if you're going to drink more as a consumer. Uh, but if you're a brand, whether you're a, a alcohol brand or you're a grocer, if you're not meeting the needs of the consumer, 
and um, you're kind of avoiding it or skipping or just kind of sitting in your hands, you're going to miss out on this entire shift. And therefore, it's, a, it's more of a revenue protection play. And particularly, you were talking earlier about the idea of lifetime value. And you, you almost need to invest with that lifetime, not almost, you need to invest with that lifetime value in mind versus just that next particular sale. And it seems like now is the right time to do that. Is that? Yeah. And, and I think, uh, Peter, the other way I would look at it is you have a lot of brands, you have a lot of retailers that get so close to their consumers that they're literally going to follow them to the grave. Right. And there's this investment that needs to be made to think about that next generation shopper who is either going through the change right now because of all the conditions or you're thinking about that 18 year old who, when they're of legal drinking age in three years, how they're going to be thinking about shopping the category, which is likely going to have a huge digital component to it. Right. They're, they're probably not going to have the, the patience, the willingness to just replicate the previous um, kind of shopping behavior that other consumers have done in the past. Well, Wayne, that, uh, that set of sort of predictions and insights closes us out for today. I just wanted to thank you so much for in the midst of this incredibly busy time to take the time to come on and share with our audience sort of what you're seeing. It's a really valuable contribution to our industry and, and both Rob and I know we just really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Great. Well, thanks for having me and, and hope you and your listeners get the chance to enjoy one of our many great products as a simple escape during these unprecedented times. There's nothing better than a lime in the top of a Corona, my friend. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Uh, thank you, Wayne. Man, what a great discussion. The intricacies of each category aside, the fascinating arc to watch will be what lessons and trends of this time stick, who are the people and organizations best able to respond, and what the buying journey snaps back to in the months to come. Stick with the Digital Shelf Institute for those insights. Make sure you're signed up for our virtual summit updates at digitalshelfsummit.salsify.com. Thanks as always for being part of our community.